Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14. And we know that uh, next week is Easter, and I want to encourage you to uh, uh, think through all of your network, your family, and your friends, and invite them to church. Uh, Many are much more willing to come on Easter than other times of the year, and if they don't have a home church, uh, your invitation may be the key. Tell them you'll you'll meet them here, or you'll pick them up, and... uh, Uh, worship along with them. In John 14, we read this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you this day, we hear these words of comfort followed by this claim of yours. Another I am statement, the way, the truth, the life. Lord, will you convince our hearts of the truth of this by your Spirit? Give us ears to hear and hearts willing to respond, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps this week you saw the press conference with the sports media in New York City. Those of you that follow sports know who it was for, and if you don't follow sports, that's all right. It was for Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy in college. He was an outstanding player. Played professionally for the Denver Broncos, led them to the playoffs, and now is going to play for the New York Jets as a backup quarterback. Now, if you know anything about sports or anything about news conferences, you might say, well, that's kind of strange, isn't it, to have a a backup quarterback, have his own news conference, 
when he comes into a city, what's the deal? Well, it is a deal with Tim Tebow. He is uh, known, yes, as a football player, but probably just as well and maybe more so for his faith in Christ as his Savior. He takes every opportunity that he can to express that. He's not ashamed of that. And to some, he is a great hero. And to many, he is seen as a polarizing figure. He is seen as something very, very negative. And so, he goes to New York City, which isn't necessarily known to be the friendliest place for those professing their faith in Christ. And it was all he could do to get them to ask him questions about football because they wanted to know where he stood on various moral issues and how he was going to evangelize in the locker room and and things like that. And to his credit, he kept taking them back to football. He said, I'm a football player. He said, I'm not ashamed, and, and so on. Well, what's so polarizing about him? Well, one of the things that bothers people that are bothered by him is that he says that there is only one way to heaven. How could anyone in this day and age say that? He has been called judgmental, arrogant. He's been called all kinds of names. And if you ever see him interviewed, you will see he is anything but that. He comes across as humble, as really believing what he says. As far as I can see, he seems sincere. We don't know the end of the story yet, and it doesn't really matter. But that's why he's controversial. And that position is as controversial as any. One way to heaven. It's a radical claim for him to make, but as he would be quick to say, he's merely reflecting the claim that his Lord and Savior made. And that's what we're looking at today. As we continue on looking at these I am statements, look at this claim which indeed is radical and it is understandably polarizing. Jesus said, in John 14:6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Now that statement like all others in scripture has a context and it's interesting to me the the immediate context here 
which is the first part of John 14, which is seen by so many as such a, a comforting passage. In fact, you members know that uh, this week we had uh, two funerals on Thursday. Two dear, godly women. Both of them had filled out a form that we have in our office that I wish every one of you would fill out. It's called an act of thoughtfulness. And it's about their own funeral. It asks questions and so on of things that you would like included. It's, it's thoughtfulness to the family you leave behind and also to the pastors. And it asks things like favorite hymns and that kind of thing. Do you know... Um, one of, one of the, the ladies had put down about four Scripture passages. The other had put down one. Both of them had put down John 14. Now, right at the end of this first part that is so comforting to so many about Jesus uh, providing comfort, about uh, making a room for you who follow, preparing a place for you, right on the heels of that comes this statement. The way. The truth. The life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you might say, why would he make such a radical statement at that point? Well, it is, it is radical to those who don't believe. But to those who do, I am convinced it is every bit as comforting as those previous verses. I don't want you to think for a moment that this was easy for Jesus to declare that it was somehow easy for him to say, look, I'm the only way, because he knew full well that by saying, I am the only way that anyone can get to heaven, he knew full well that meant the cross. That it was that, that one way that he would achieve on the cross. That was not an easy statement to make. Now look at some of the other places that affirm Jesus' teaching on that matter. You know, some want to pick and choose in Scripture and, and say, well, I just like what Jesus said or I just like what you know, Peter said or, or this or that. But, but all over the place, we see similar statements, parallel statements. Peter and John who are in front of this council in Jerusalem. And they talk about what Christ did in His life and why He did it. And then they make this statement in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here, here they're declaring that the, the same thing that Jesus did, but they are saying, He is the only way. 
Polarizing statement? Absolutely. Upsetting to those who would, not, who would not acknowledge him as the way. Jesus, again in John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's only the Son, Jesus Christ. Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Not there are many, or He is one. There is only one, according to the Apostle Paul. And then John, 1 John 5. This is the testimony that God gave us. Eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, I don't think for anyone that's going to be honest, there's any disputing that the Bible is recording the claim that Jesus is the only way. So the only dispute becomes whether we will believe that claim of Jesus and the claim of others about him that he's the only way to heaven. Now, you might say, well, you, you said it's polarizing. Why is that so unpopular? Why is that such a problem in our day? And by the way, it's not a new problem. Every age has found this to be a, a radical claim. But certainly in, in our day and age, it is far from what would be a popular way to present how one gets to heaven. I think there's several reasons. There's, there's many. There's hundreds, I'm sure. But one is because of the, the rise of postmodernism or what some have called de deconstructionism. Now, that's kind of hard to define in terms of uh, uh, to pin down because it's, it's not like there's a president of that movement or a, a leader of that movement and, you know, that all the postmoderns are in their own churches today and it's a denomination or anything like that. That's not the case. It's, it's a movement and it's all over the place and it's more a view. It's a way of looking at life and a way of looking at truth. But it's very contrary to the way Jesus would present himself. The postmodernist naturally believes that it's, it's pointless to argue over two opposing viewpoints. In other words, to try to determine who's right and who's wrong. The postmodernist would say, well, that, that's my opinion, and my opinion's every bit as good as your opinion, and your opinion's really every bit as good as mine also. And you're entitled to that opinion, but 
but don't try to impose it on me. That's typical of what a postmodern mind would say. There is the one essential non-negotiable demand that postmodernism makes of everyone, and that is that we are not supposed to think we know any objective truth. Truth is a, is a sliding scale. What's truth to you is fine, but that may not be truth to me. Now, a lot of you are going, wow, that's weird. You know, that's a, that's a strange way to view things. And yet, people who believe that way are all around you. Don't kid yourself. And there are those in churches all over the place that would basically say that too. Yes, I, I hold to this, but I, you know, I, I could never try to convince someone else that they need it. Ironically, postmodernism basically says uh, the one truth is this, that there is no truth. And you see, that's why it deconstructs itself. Because it, it's absurd if you press it. By the way, a Jesus' claim is not just that he tells the truth. It's that, what? He is the truth. And that goes radically against what many in our day would be willing to believe. It may be true for you, but it isn't true for me. Now, very closely related to that, and that also makes this viewpoint that there's only one way to heaven uh, makes it unpopular, uh, is a, a misunderstanding of living in a pluralistic society. There is uh, a, a great movement that there should be real toleration of all kinds of religions. By the way, I agree with that. I want there to be toleration of all kinds of religions in our country. Because if some religions are not tolerated at some point it could be our religion, our beliefs, our Christianity that won't be tolerated. But here's where, and, and that's what it is to live in a, a pluralistic society. That's okay. Christians should be kind and respectful and yes, even loving toward those who don't believe like they do. But the misunderstanding is this. It's equating toleration with legitimacy. In other words, uh, some would want to imply we need to tolerate everyone because everyone's as right as everyone else. And they have a right to be right. See, we would say they have a right to be wrong. And it's okay if they think that about us too. As long as they say we have that right. 
But a proper toleration and respect does not imply that all religions are equally true. There is a, a Baha'i temple in Chicago. There's only, um, I don't know, six or eight of them in the whole world. There are places where Baha'i meet in various places, but there's an actual uh, temple in Chicago. And in that temple, you will find the symbols of uh, many, many religions. There are nine entrances, implying that there are many ways to get to God. You choose your entrance. You will find in that temple, you will find our symbol, the cross. You will also find the Star of David. You will also find swastikas. Not because of Nazism, but Hindus used them that sign before Nazis ever did. The implication of, of that temple is that all the world's religions are compatible and lead to the same God. And that sounds good, doesn't it? All religions lead to the same God as long as we're sincerely seeking Him. The problem is that simply cannot be true. Let me give you some examples of the very religions that are represented there that are not compatible. Buddhism says there is no personal God. Christianity says there is a personal God. Orthodox Judaism denies life after death, denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Christianity says there is absolutely life after death, and Jesus is the Messiah. Classical Islam says eradicate the infidels, the non-Muslim. Christianity says love your enemies. They are opposites. They are not compatible. And the only way to make them compatible is to deny the very tenets of those religions. And I believe it's disrespectful of those other religions even to say, well, we just believe the same thing. We're all seeking the same thing. They are exclusive claims. And these religions claim the opposite of one another. It's no more respectful of the other religions than it is to Christianity to claim that we all believe the same thing. No Muslim of any learning would say that. Neither would a Jew or a Buddhist. There's another reason in our day I think that it's an unpopular claim, and that is just sheer political correctness. But here's the thing. If Jesus is telling the truth, and I think most of you would say Jesus is telling the truth. I know we always have seekers here and those that haven't professed their faith in Christ. I'm delighted you're here. But probably most of you would say, yes, He's telling the truth. If you would say that, but you won't tell others, 
the truth because of political correctness, then you don't understand about heaven and hell. You really haven't gotten it because it's that serious. And to not tell someone else about the realities of heaven and hell and how one can get to heaven and escape hell, to not tell them is an unloving thing to do. And then I think there is uh, the other reason among many that this claim is unpopular is the fear of the accusation of arrogance. Isn't it arrogant to believe that Jesus is the only way? If you say it in a group, someone will say, well, you're arrogant to say that. Now, here's the thing. If we think He's the only way because we claim it, then that is arrogance. But it's not arrogant to say, Jesus said there's only one way to heaven, and I have chosen to believe that Jesus is a truth teller. Can you understand why I therefore have to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That's not arrogance. And let's get it straight. If there's any arrogance here, if you want to claim that that claim is arrogant, then you got one person to call arrogant, and that's Jesus. He's the one who made the claim. But let me tell you what is arrogant. It's arrogant to claim that he's a great teacher, but he is not the only way. That would be arrogant. It'd be arrogant to claim that he's a great prophet, but denying that he is the only way after he said he is. We cannot have him as a great man, a great teacher, a great prophet, unless what he taught was true. Those are what make him a great man, a great teacher, a great example. That leads us to the really the so what of all of this. John Stott said in Basic Christianity, uh, in talking about uh, determining who Jesus really is, he said there are three things that must converge in order to uh, determine three witnesses. And all three, he said, are necessary. You have the claims of Christ, which we've been looking at during these weeks. You have the character of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. He said all three are necessary. Now obviously next week we will talk about the resurrection of Christ. And we have been talking about the claims of Christ. 
but what about his character? You see, that's where C.S. Lewis asks the question, well, is he, is he a liar? Or is he a, a lunatic? Or is he a lord? The trilemma, some people call it. Some have called it, is he mad, bad, or God? And there's lots of versions of that out there. Few would categorize him as a liar or a lunatic. The evidence just doesn't support it. And so that's the so what. You've got to answer that question. He's made the claim. Polarizing, yes. He is saying in that you can't have it always. There is one way to heaven. And if you want heaven, it's through me. It's one last thing today. Even though we, we have to deal with and we have to cope with the questions that are all around us out there and, and postmodernism and all, you know, the claims of us being arrogant and that type of thing and political correctness, we've got to deal with those. But if we spend all of our time on that, then I suspect we're actually asking the wrong question. You see, too many want to spend all their time saying, why is there only one way? I think there's a bigger question. If God is holy like He has said He is, and if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and because of that deserve eternal uh, condemnation, deserve to be sent to hell forever, then the question is, why is there even one way? And the only answer is the grace of God. The grace of God, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that provided that one way to heaven. How gracious it is. And how blessed you are because you, even if it's the first time you ever heard it, you have heard of the one way to heaven. May God enable us to respond to His great invitation. Let's bow together. Lord, thank You that You have shown us the way to heaven, the way to the rooms, to the mansions that You have prepared for us. And Lord, will You enable, it for those who are here and have never received You, will You give them uh, the ability, even in this moment, 
to ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross that did what we could never have done. Thank you that though we didn't deserve it, we deserved only to be destroyed, to be punished forever, that you made a way to be in relationship with you forever. We praise you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.